Section 16 of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. Mrs. Diamond by Anna Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Part 2. Chapter 8. Susanna at Home. Sweet day, sweet songs, the golden hours grew brighter for that singing. From brook and bird and meadow flowers, a dearer welcome bringing. New light on home seed nature beamed. New glory over woman, and daily life and duty seemed no longer poor and common. I woke to find the simple truth of fact and feeling better than all the dreams that held my youth a still repining debtor. Whittier People's lives as they really are and people's lives as, for all their experience of the past, they imagine they are going to be, are very different. And yet reality has often a great deal more spirit and invention in it than the most romantic daydreams. It is less gracious, less pursuer, than one's own imagination, but at the same time it is a great deal more amusing and original. When tired Susanna got out of the train and looked about at the sweet country place which was henceforth to be her home, she had a feeling not unlike that which one imagines a bird flying into the rustling depths of some cool green tree. The Tarndale Line stops short in a garden shaded by green, where roses are clustering in the hedge, beyond which shine the sweet evening gleams of Tarndale water. The passengers alight into fragrance among sweet briar and flower beds and disperse by degrees. Some cross the lake in boats, some walk away by the lanes that lead to the village. Others may be seen disappearing across the moors and uplands, where the roads climb to meet the sky. For Susanna, an open carriage was in waiting. A couple of flags had been set up on two poles. And as she slighted, she was greeted by a cheer from half a dozen assembled urchins led by a stout foreign-looking gentleman who came forward, heartily grasped her hand and finally saluted her on the cheek and a flourish of his hat. Mr. Bolsover always looked exactly the same, but his clothes were new for this occasion. He wore a dark green velvet hunting suit and a horn slung across his shoulders, knickerbockers, green stockings, buckled shoes. He had assumed a general air of gala and cheerful jauntiness to which every possible adornment of button and shirt studded added brilliance. Welcome, my dear Susanna. Welcome. Here. You are at last among us. Here is my wife come to meet you. You will find the others at the place all expectant. Get in, my dear, get in. And her new brother-in-law, replacing his hat carefully on one side of his head, gallantly leads Susanna by the elbow and hoists her up the steps of the barouche, on the back seat of which sits an elderly, bonny lady, glowering satin, who shuts her parasol, bends forward, and receives Susie with a kiss not unlike a postman's rap at the door. Caroline insisted on coming in Tempe's place, continues Mr. Bolsover. Tempe, slightly indisposed, is waiting at the place. Get in, John, get in. Carr, as you know, prefers the back seat. It was one of Mr. Bolsover's many peculiarities always to sit with her back to the horses, and the colonel and Susie being placed in the seat of honour. 
Mr. Bolsover leaps in himself, banging the door several times in succession. The porters and the children give a second straggling cheer. The carriage rolls away by the shady road skirting the lake, which is all rippling and edging with reeds and birds, and many starts and plashes among the fringing grasses. Susie, shy, wondering, confused, sat silent, smoothing out her folds and wraps, feeling herself raked, by Mrs. Bolsover's too steady, scrutinizing eyes. Aunt Carr was accustomed to Aunt Fanny's gorgeous elegancies. To her fifty years, she cast a disapproving glance at childish Susie's soft flounces and delicate clouds and frills. They seemed affected and airified to the elder lady. I remember you at Vivian Castle, says she in her deepest accents. You were there with your grandfather. I hope you will not be dull down here with all of us. I suppose you have always been used to live with old people. Oh, yes, always, says Susie, rather confused. The colonel feels vaguely disconcerted by his sister's greeting. But Mr. Bolsover has begun immediately pointing out the remarkable objects along the road, the barn and the haycocks and the five-barred gate and other subjects of common interest. Mr. Fox's new hotel by the lake, the Fletcher's cottage upon the hillside, the gates of Bolsover Park with the big trees leading up to the house. It was all new to Susie, but every branch and twig and stone seemed to be a part of the elder people's lives. And as they rolled along by the scenes of his youth, the colonel forgot his years and his passing irritation in the silent welcome of the old haunts. He could not but contrast his homecoming with his happiness by his side, with all the gloom and forlornness of the past ten years of his life. It never occurred to Colonel Diamond that everybody else was not as happy as he now found himself. Now they too would know her thought the simple-minded gentleman, and to know her was to love her. His heart was full of gratitude and tenderness. He thought of the green pastures and still waters of the psalm. Surely King David might have had Tarndale in his mind when he wrote his psalm. Colonel Diamond, so methodical, so deliberate in his ways, so scrupulous in his attire, so hasty at times, as precise people are apt to be, was a true-hearted and single-minded man, strung up just now to some higher mood than was his wont. He had determined when he married to make others as happy as he was himself. When he thought of his sad and silent home, now once more brightened to life by that sweet and conciliatory presence, it seemed to him impossible that those who loved him could not rejoice for him and for themselves as well. The colonel took it for granted that Aunt Fanny would be the same mind as the rest of them, according to a benediction all the more valued because it was lightly bestowed. He pictured to himself Tempe warm-hearted, welcoming Fanny with accomplished arms outstretched, a prop, a guide, an invaluable adviser. Carr might make a few good-humoured jokes, perhaps, but he could not trust to Carr's kind heart. Very soon she would learn to prize his Susie, and then one cannot wonder that John Drymond looked kindly and admiringly at the sweet figure by his side. He could not but note its grace and gentle presence and the sober girlish expectancy of Susanna's eyes, as he thought with a proud thankfulness of the lovely soul he had discovered in his fair and gentle shrine. John Ryman felt a better and more important person somehow for his charming young wife, who trusted him and looked up to him 
and who shall blame him if he so felt it was not without reason that she did so he had been kind to susanna and to her mother he was prepared to do more if need be and of this need be the colonel had little doubt in his mind mickey and dermy's education must be attended to without delay bohemia is certainly not the place in which to study the rules of the latin grammar and the marnies were it must be confessed for the present at least dwellers in bohemia as the colonel sat quietly in his place driving along the lane his mind travelled right away as minds are apt to do to a winchester ball some twenty-five years before and to the days in which he had waltzed with pretty mary holcomb susie's mother less beautiful even then however than her daughter was now all the past seemed like a far-away burst of tears and laughter to the grim sentimental old fellow only he himself that now at sixty the present was best that candid grave face those sweet innocent eyes that rare smile which delighted him when it came all seemed like a rainbow after rain a token of happiness after long trouble with difficulty the carriage turns in at two wide gates susie's heart begins to beat the colonel looks out eagerly do you see tempy says he is that joe a dog barks the butler and the footman come to the door the carriage stops the butler advances the footman retreats the dog wags its tail and gambles up and licks the colonel's boots where is miss tempy where is mr joe down zilla down says the colonel impatiently miss diamond is upstairs you will find miss bolsover in the drawing-room sir says the butler she has just ordered tea mr joe was in the hall a minute ago the colonel looks somewhat disappointed the footman throws wide open the drawing-room door and as the wedding party enters the room followed by a dog quivering pile rises from the sofa where it had been heaped a trophy of flounced muslin of ribbons of yellow ringlets and glittering ornaments it advances serious awful with an artificial smile and does not speak well fanny here we are says uncle bolsover with a hasty attempt at a rally train late of course better late than never eh john i mean of course as regards the railway says the squire suddenly confused this was good of you fanny coming over to make us welcome says the colonel wincing but following his brother-in-law's lead here she is come home to us and he turned to susy who was standing rather frightened in the middle of the room how do you do says miss bolsover advancing with a glittering kiss for the bride and then turning to the colonel i hope you will excuse poor tempy's absence john she has been entirely upset by her letters by all that has occurred or she would have met you i have advised her to remain in her room for the present then changing with alarming politeness are you tired after your journey mrs diamond the servants are bringing the tea they have been hard at work poor things preparing i hope you will find everything comfortable but of course we none of us knew what you would wish or what you were accustomed to i i i am accustomed to nothing at all said susy blushing up and pretending to laugh but somehow she felt more inclined to cry this terrible ceremonious aunt fanny and her cheap sense and furbelows and attentions tempy's absence tempy her own friend and companion whose welcome she had counted upon who had written so warmly who now seemed to turn against her mrs bolsover still staring her out of her countenance it was all like a frightening dream 
is tempy upstairs said susy looking imploringly from the grim mrs bolsover on the sofa to the still more alarmingly affable aunt fanny is she really ill may i go to her thank you said aunt fanny purling her words you are most kind but for the present she is best alone i am taking her back to bolsover with me for a few hours entire quiet it is better for her to be with those she is accustomed to for the present but she knows me quite well indeed she does cried susy longing to escape to see tempy to know what was amiss to have it out as girls say aunt fanny looked at the colonel is it your wish john that the child should be further upset we have only been able to calm her with the greatest difficulty she will see you of course but give her time the colonel feeble-minded man that he was turned in bewildered consternation turned from his wife of whom he was not afraid to his sister-in-law of whom he was afraid perhaps my dear susy you had better wait a little the colonel faltered as our good sister suggests i'll go up and see her directly and he walked straight out of the room susy flushed crimson and looked from one to the other she too was upset she too was overwrought she felt a strange heavy pain in her heart was this her own home her homecoming was this her new life were these the people whom she had determined to love with all her heart to love aunt fanny it seemed about as easy to love a muslin toilet table pin cushions scent bottles and all what did it all mean why these looks these reserves was it her coming that had brought such trouble oh what business then had she there even john had turned away oh it was cruel of him what had she done what had she done she looked appealingly at mr bolsover as if he could explain it all and she looked across the room with a sinking heart she seemed to see spread out as a picture before her the many years to come mrs bolsover forever sitting on the sofa with her fixed stare forever serious forever disapproving miss bolsover so big so pink with her false curls and plaits and heavy playfulness arranging marshalling ordering everyone about was this her home the overcrowded room with its stuffed birds and gilt frames and stag horns and sprawling legs seemed to oppress susy like some nightmare even the kind old squire in his fancy dress and vandyke attitudes had got upon susy's nerves she scarcely did justice to the friendliness with which he now came up trying to make things more cheerful i see you grasp the situation said he jauntily we're all used to do as we are told here eh fanny all used to it and we have all found by long experience it is the best thing we can do he hastily added seeing a pink eye flashing round upon him perhaps miss bolsover felt that a crisis had arisen perhaps she had suddenly realized that a young republic was threatening where she had ruled so long her plans were deeply laid and simple as they seemed the events had been arranged with an elaborate care which was almost defeated however by a very simple move on susy's part for suddenly in the doorway she sees her husband leading tempy and followed by joe who had been upstairs all this time vainly endeavoring to persuade his sister to come down but was this tempy who had come down and who stood motionless while joe strode up to meet his young stepmother with a shy but friendly greeting was this tempy with downcast looks and swollen eyes gloomy passive 
with a dull expression like that of a person half bewildered and asleep her dress was tumbled her looks were changed even her curly red hair looked limp and straight tempy darling tempy what is it is it because i have come cried susy running to her with outstretched arms with a sudden rush of natural emotion so warm so true so different from all the hysterical agitation that had carried everything before it susy's whole heart was in her kind face i have been so longing to see you she cried your aunt says you're going back to bolsover hall don't please don't go away now that i have come tempy looked softer for a moment let herself be kissed but only sighed and did not speak as susanna released her the colonel came up i must add my own request my dear child to susanna's notwithstanding your good aunt's wishes i confess your departure would wound me deeply said the colonel plucking up some spirit at last we will send her back to you in very good time john interposes aunt fanny blandly taking the girl's hand in hers tempy only needs a few hours quiet at the hall with us and she will come home braced and prepared to do her duty and to accept your will and mrs diamond's adds mrs bolsover with an odd intonation you of course are able to command but if tempy takes my advice she will do what is not only for her own and present happiness but for that of us all i don't know what the deuce you mean says the colonel testily and suddenly losing his temper no wonder poor john diamond found himself bewildered there was fanny defying him caroline frowning susy whom he had seen for all these days so bright so radiantly happy so easily pleased now standing pale silent and repulsed bolsover alone came up to the colonel's expectations you could always count upon bolsover hitherto john diamond thought he could have counted on them all he could hardly believe that this strange new terrible fanny bolsover so elaborate and frigid was the ideal of goodness and amiability which they had all looked up to for years and tempy was this his tempy so sullen so changed nor did the colonel find himself much more at his ease when he presently met the intelligent look of his sister mrs bolsover i knew all along how it would be said aunt car who had among other habits that inconvenient trick of occasionally speaking her thoughts aloud knew what my dear car said mr bolsover by way of turning off the conversation agreeably that we should all be here a family party happily united at last i little thought how it would all be said the colonel tempy you must make your own arrangements with your aunts and by all means attend to their wishes but remember this is your natural home said the colonel turning very red and feeling his temper beyond his control marched out of the room leaving tempy still standing as if she was dazed susy ran up again put her arms out tempy looked at her with strange eyes tell papa i will come back she said tell him it is no want of love her lips quivered she did not finish her sentence come my child come cries aunt fanny suddenly extremely animated and swooping down from the other end of the room car do not keep her standing frederick you can walk and before any one could speak another word or interfere in any way miss bolsover throws a shawl over tempy's head motions mrs bolsover to the door and in another minute has urged borne carried her niece by main will out of the room in the hall mrs bolsover's maid was waiting ready with a bag the butler was holding open the carriage door miss fanny with something of her brother's agility thrust mrs bolsover into her usual place on the back seat 
hurry his passive tempi up with the assistance of the maid and when the colonel after a few minutes struggle with his temper came back from the garden he found the room cleared doors open the company gone susy had fled upstairs only frederick bolsover remained for a minute disconsolately standing in the passage talking in a low voice to joe fanny is too abrupt too abrupt says uncle bol means well of course poor tempy looks wretchedly out of sorts these family entanglements are always trying very trying charlie is expected back i believe there was a telegram to fanny this morning tempy's looks had startled her father even more than they did her uncle he was deeply hurt by her departure he had trusted in her sympathy the prosaic old fellow felt as if he had had a shock as if all the quiet foundations of his life had been shaken he nodded to his brother-in-law and son but he went straight into his study and began tearing open the pile of bills and letters upon the table but his hand trembled so much that he threw the whole parcel down upon the table in a heap then he crossed the room to the window which he threw wide open as he came back to the table he saw his own figure reflected in the glass against the light and he turned away his head he was troubled agitated could it be that perhaps tempy was right in the main that she had a right to resent his marriage he had never imagined anything like this the poor colonel's head sank upon his breast just then the door opened and joe came straggling in do you want lights or anything papa said the young fellow with a touch of real sympathy in his voice the father did not answer but held out his hand without looking up tempy's terribly cut up about charlie bolsover said joe shyly you know he is very fond of her papa and they have been constantly together all the time but these love affairs never last says the experienced youth and i'm sure that aunt fanny had been giving her chloral tempy hardly knew what she was about love affairs says the father looking up extraordinarily relieved is that the meaning of it all chloral how very wrong and imprudent of your aunt confound charlie bolsover so he's at the bottom of it all is he he deserves to be shot cried the colonel end of section 16